you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles uh, to Colossians 1, uh, verse 21, and we'll pick up there in a moment. Uh, As Paul writes to this church in Colossae in the first century, one of the great themes of this letter uh, is the radical grace of God. Uh, In fact, he opens his letter with the words grace and peace. Not a normal greeting in his day and age, uh, but something he wanted to impress on his hearers. Uh, It was a a theme uh, that then permeates his letter and in fact is meant to permeate our lives as disciples of Jesus following after him. Uh, Once we were enemies of God, Paul explains, in tension under the wrath of God naturally, um, there was no peace But now, in Christ, we've encountered the radical grace of God. And out of that grace comes peace. Paul continues in Colossians 1, verse 21. He says this, he says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight without blemish, and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. Uh, This is the gospel or the announcement that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Let's pray. Jesus, we honor you as king in this place. Uh, What a joy it is to be under your kingship, to be freed up from out of uh, the oppressive powers uh, that we were born under. Uh, We just rejoice in you. We honor you in that. Uh, It was just out of your faithfulness, Lord, that you did it. Uh, And now we're free. We're free to follow after you. We're free to step into fullness of life. We're free to be the men and women that you uh, made us to be in the kingdom. Uh, And we just rejoice in that this morning. We rejoice in the freedom that you've brought. Uh, God, we are uh, joyful servants under the King. And I pray this morning, just as Paul says, hey, I'm a servant of this message, of this gospel. Uh, God, I know that sometimes uh, we can be servants of it and and yet uh, lose sight of it at the same time. Uh, we, we can see our lives as, as being uh, the, a life in service to you, and yet sometimes we can, we can lose track, uh, miss the beauty uh, of the very gospel uh, that we are servant stewards, announcers of. Uh, would you uh, open us up to that this morning? Would you do a fresh work in our hearts? Would you help us uh, see ourselves and see the work that you've done the way that you see it, Lord? In the power of the Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. When you roll out of bed in the morning, the world that you encounter is not the world as it was meant to be. Uh, We know this uh, intuitively, that something is wrong. Uh, that something is off. In fact, everyone, I would argue, knows this. From all times, all places, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, we all know something is wrong. 
In fact, I would argue this is one of the things that unites humanity. A common thread through us all is that we all recognize this something is not right. This is not the world as it was meant to be. Uh, Now, we may all have different and sometimes confusing solutions to offer. We all sense the problem, uh, but we all might be offering different solutions. Uh, from Buddhism to communism to higher education. Uh, many of us say, oh, this, this is it. This is what's going to fix. We all know something's wrong, but, but what is uh, the solution? We, we all sense that tension. We all know there's something in our world that needs to be righted. And we have, we were born as human beings with, with eternity in our hearts, the scriptures say. Uh, Something in us longs for the kingdom. And yet, here we are on this uh, war-torn planet, uh, born into a war zone, born, in fact, into Adam. You and I were born into a a line of rebellious and broken people who, who naturally stood in opposition to the very living God that our hearts crave so badly. And, and this brokenness, it, it was in all of us, and it was in every part of us. It's in the human heart, in the human mind, in, in the human soul. And because there is a brokenness, death, dysfunction uh, at the core of who we are, as we're born in Adam, it affects everything. In fact, Paul says, uh, once you were alienated from God and, and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. That was our first verse this morning. But notice that both our, our minds and our actions are implicated here. What, what's deep inside of us, what's wrong at the core of us, is going to work its way out in, in us, through us, in everything that we do. So we, we are um, inheritors, we were, I would say, inheritors of rebellion and death. Uh, we were born into the family line of Adam, and out of our broken hearts just flows junk. One of my former pastors used to say, what's down in the well comes up in the bucket. There's something wrong at the core. That's what flows out of us in Adam. Uh, but notice that in today's sort of postmodern, post-Christian culture, we have this idea that human beings are basically good. Uh, human beings are good. We're born good. Uh, we don't really need God if He exists at all. Uh, we can define right and wrong for ourselves. This is a huge part uh, of sort of the secular culture that we live in. We can define right and wrong for ourselves which sounds a lot like the garden. Uh, And after defining it, this is even more shocking, after defining it, we then have the power to live that out. We can define right and wrong for ourselves, even better than God if he exists. And if we choose to, then we will live it out. And all of that um, would have sounded sort of laughable to the biblical authors would have said, no, 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 that was the problem with humanity. That's, that's not like the solution that we need to chase after. 
Uh, and, and so it sounds very tempting, I think. I, I was raised purely in that culture with no biblical framework. And it's, it felt to me um, very, very logical, very tempting, very sort of trendy within the moment that we live in. It feels very good. Ah, oh, yes, human beings are just good and we should just go at it for ourselves. Uh, the problem is uh, that history has proven that that just isn't the case. If it really was that simple, that we were born good, that we could define right and wrong for ourselves, and then we could just go sort of effortlessly live that out, um, history would not look the way that it does. We, we would not kill each other uh, by the millions and tens of millions. It, it just doesn't make sense. So, so our sort of postmodern view of the world actually can't explain history. It can't explain the last century. Was it, which was the bloodiest century in all of human history. Uh, we need something more than better rules and higher education. That won't fix the human problem. That won't right what we sense is wrong in the world. In fact, uh, we need much more than that. We need to be reborn. What's, what's wrong in the core of us has to be put to death, reborn, transformed, caught up into something new. We need to be removed from Adam and, and placed into a new family line with, with a new uh, in, inheritance, with a new heritage, a new identity. We need to become new creations, to be reborn. And Paul says that is exactly what Christ has done for us. He, he, he's done this within. It was the only way forward. There was no other way. We couldn't have done it ourselves. There was nothing we could do to strive our way uh, out of Adam, out of old creation, and into the new. Uh, there, there was nothing we could do to earn our way out of that position. But, Paul writes to the Colossians, but now, he says, uh, God has reconciled you to Christ, or reconciled uh, you by Christ's physical body, and through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. That's one of the verses we read this morning. This is where I want to spend most of our time. Uh, because if we grasp uh, what that verse means, how to actually practically it sort of apply that to our lives, it changes everything. Paul says, God has reconciled us to himself through Jesus' physical body. The thing that we could not have done, the thing that needed to be righted within us, was done. And he points out uh, in this verse, he, he said it was, it was through his blood shed, it was through the death of the one who was spotless and blameless, without blemish or defect. And if you are uh, familiar with the Old Testament, you'll recognize that language uh, as the language of sacrifice. 
For thousands of years, uh, the, the Old Testament people of God, they waited for the Messiah. But in the meantime, they acted this out. Uh, they would take a lamb that was um, quote-unquote perfect, that was free from blemish or defect, and they would sacrifice the animal, uh, shedding uh, the blood. And, and the shedding of the blood was to atone for sin. It was to reconcile them to God. Uh, as Hebrews says, uh, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So within the biblical framework, there's this sense of like sin leads to death. And, and so when we're trying to reconcile, it's this sense of like life for life. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And so this sort of life for life, this spotless, blameless life to restore my life, uh, it finds its roots and actually its truest expression in the Exodus. Before the Israelites are a free people, they are a nation of slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years. And God comes to them not because they are righteous. That's not why He came. That's not why He freed them from slavery. Not because they are righteous, but because He is faithful. He, he's, he's chosen them. He's made a promise to their forefathers and in a sense to them. And He's just faithful. He's just come to honor that promise. And he comes to this enslaved people group. Uh, and some people think at this point um, there may have been as many as a million enslaved Israelites in Egypt. Uh, and, and this is what he says to them uh, through to and through Moses. He says, uh, tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. The animals you choose must be one-year-old males without defect. There's that language. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt, demonic forces taking worship from the Creator God. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. That's where the language of Passover comes from. I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Fascinating. Now, at this point, it's worth noting that we live in a skeptical culture. Our post-Christian culture is sort of a skeptical, cynical one. Uh, and that uh, sort of leaks its way into our lives. Uh, it leaks its way into my life. Uh, in fact, I've had countless times in my years of following Jesus where I've really struggled to grasp this idea. It's, it's so basic. It's at the center of our faith. It's at the center uh, of Christianity. Uh, but this sort of uh, declaration uh, that, that because of Jesus' sacrifice, I am now innocent. I, I'm now holy. It's just, it's just this thing that just happens. 
and uh, I'm, I'm blameless in his sight. And, and when I stare into the face of that, sort of using my logical Western mind, I think, wait, how does that, how does that work? Like, can you explain that to me a different way? Uh, because sometimes I, I struggle to grasp that. And, and then uh, you have the voice of the enemy who comes along and accuses, right? Here's who you are. Here's what you've done. Here's how you've messed up. And, and, and we can listen to that voice and say, well, that, that sounds true. I, I, think I, I think I did think those things. I think I did do those things. I think I did hurt those people. I think I did sin that way. And we kind of spin around again and, and take this piercing, logical look at the cross and the blood of Jesus. And, and sometimes we think, huh, I, I'm not totally sure how that works. But I think we get a picture of how it works right here in the Exodus. The lamb without defect dies, is slaughtered on behalf of the people. And notice that the Israelites have been mixed up in the same idolatry as the Egyptians. They're just as broken. They're just as sinful. They're just as messed up. But... The blood of the perfect lamb is applied to their lives. And and as a result, the judgment that is coming on earth against demonic forces and the people who obey them then, then passes over them. But it wasn't about their morality. It was about their trust. In fact, to be even more specific, it was about their trust in the blood. And that's actually significant. If you were there as an enslaved Hebrew, if you knew disaster was coming, if, if you could sense it in the air, this, this imminent sense that judgment is falling on our land, that, that people are going to die tonight. And I'm not immune. <laughs> I've done the same stuff that they've done. I, I don't know about you, but I would, I would, I would be a little nervous. And, and I, I, I might question a little bit and say, okay, I know judgment is coming. I can sense it in the air. I can feel it on my chest. I hope this blood is enough. In fact, you, you, you might even, if you had been there, um, walked outside of your door, right? And, and maybe looked at your doorframe and, and looked at the blood and thought, hmm, doesn't really do much for me. Like, it, it, is this really going to work? Because it's life or death. But notice where the blood is. It's a sign, it's a mark on the home, but where is it? It's on the outside for God to see. 
In fact, God says in the passage we just read, he says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. It's on the outside for God to see. And and something very similar has happened to us in Jesus. Jesus. (laughs) Extra H in there. The judgment of God against sin fell on Jesus at the cross. And in fact, uh, in Scripture, Jesus is referred to as, quote, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He, He was absolutely perfect. He was spotless. He was blameless, above reproach, above all accusation. In fact, at the end of his life, before he's crucified in, in the Gospel of John, he says, he says, the devil's coming, he's got nothing on me. Nothing. He has nothing to accuse me with. I have lived an absolute, perfect, full, sinless life. He's the only one who can say that. In all of human history. He's got nothing to accuse me with. He's perfect, spotless, blameless, without blemish, above accusation. And then he's slaughtered. On the Passover of all days. And they attempt to give him wine for the pain using the branch of a hyssop tree. Same branch that they used in the Exodus. And as his blood is shed on the cross, and and he breathes his last, he, he dies in the evening when the Passover lambs were being slaughtered in Jerusalem. And in the process, Paul says, those who were alienated from God, enemies of God, in our hearts, in our minds, in our souls, were reconciled. We're now made right with Him, brought near to God through His physical body, through His blood shed on the cross, which Paul says it brings us peace. At last, through the radical grace of God, we have this peace through His his body. And the judgment that should have fallen on us has fallen on the Lamb. Just like in the Exodus, we can say the Lamb died instead of us. And now His blood is applied to our lives. You and me, all of us. His blood is applied to our lives. And, and if you could, if it were possible, you, you might walk outside the front door of your life, metaphorically speaking, and kind of look back at the doorframe and see the blood of Jesus and say, you know what? doesn't do much for me. I, I don't get it. I don't have this response. But it's not for you to see. It, it, it's for God to see. And and only God knows the phenomenal 
value of the blood. He's the only one who understands that. We can look at it and say, Lord, I, I, I don't get it. It's okay. It's not for you to see. It's, it's, for, it's for me to see. I alone know the phenomenal value of the blood of my son. I know what happened there at the cross. Our job is to trust in the blood. To trust that that's enough. Paul says he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. You, you have been so intimately connected to Jesus that, that what was true of you became true of Him. And, and that what is true of Him becomes true of you. He became sin at the cross. He, he became your sin. What, what is true, was true of you, becomes true of Jesus. He died your death. And now, you're so intimately connected, you too are said to have died. You were crucified with Christ. Historical fact. By the mystery of God, your old self was there, it was crucified with Christ. That's how caught up you are in, in, in Him. And, and, and what's true of Him becomes true of you. That... that holy, spotless, blameless, new creation, free from accusation. These are things we would use to describe Jesus. They're now things we use to describe you. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, well, I might be holy and blameless in His sight. Isn't that what the verse says? present you holy and blameless in his sight but that's not the reality i'm not actually holy and blameless it's just in his sight in his eyes but let me ask you this is there any higher view than god's view Is there any truer sight than God's sight? No. There, there, there is no higher view. There is no truer view. There is no court that God has to answer to. There, there, there's not God's version of reality and then the actual reality as we know it. God is the only one in the universe who sees reality clearly. He, he's the only pure truth teller in the universe. And he says, this, this is who 
you are. The rest of us, we see a tiny fragment of reality, and that tiny fragment is blurry at best. That's what you and I have to operate on. God, God sees everything perfect with crystal clarity. Will we trust what he says? Will you trust what he says is now true about you? That he actually makes you holy and blameless. That you are free from accusation. It's not that he pretends that we are. It's, it's that we are. He's the only one who knows the truth. And he says, you are in Christ. That's your literal position. That's the truth. And because you are in him, these things are now true of you. No one can take that from you. No one can strip that from you. No, don't listen to that accusation. This is what is now true of you. He's placed you in Jesus. You could not have strived your way out of Adam. You could not have earned your way into Christ. But because of the cross, you are now placed in Christ. You are placed into the, into the place that you could not have possibly gotten by yourself. And, and now, now Paul says, Christ is your righteousness. You're in Him. And, and we, we have to get this right. Paul says, this is... This is the gospel that I'm excited about. This, this is the true gospel, the radical gospel, the one that we uh, delight in, the one that we contemplate, the one that we're challenged by, the one that we share with others, the one we lay our life down for. Paul says, this is the gospel or the announcement that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, have become a servant. He says, this is it. This is what I'm after. This is the core of the message. And notice that it's an announcement. Paul says, it's good news. It's not good advice. It's not good rules to follow. It is an announcement about what Jesus has done and what is now true of you because you're in Him. Just announcement. Listen up. This is what has already happened. This is what is already true. This is what He's already accomplished. Go and announce that to the world. You have moved from death to life. That's just how it is. You are a new creation. You are holy and blameless and free from accusation. It's not that you can be or that you should be. That's not the announcement. The announcement is, it's done. It is finished. It's already done. We get to go and announce what is already true. It's the radical announcement that in Jesus you are. 
And Paul says, continue in that. Uh, don't, don't depart from the radical nature of this gospel. Continue in your faith. Don't be established in this grace. Stand firm. Uh, don't, don't move from this incredible hope that you have. So, so often we, we can come into a space like this. And if I say, stand firm, fight the good fight, don't depart from the way. What, what many of us picture in our minds is actually more striving. That's what those things evoke. Oh, I got, I got to get out there. I got to clench my fists. I got I to try harder. I got to do better. Surely that's what it means to fight the good fight. Surely that's what it means to stand firm in the faith, right? It's not what Paul says. Paul says, no, 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 that's, that's not the announcement. That's not the call. That's not the fight. He says the call is to stay in the love of God. It's to be rooted and established in His grace. It's to be uncompromising in the radical nature of the gospel. In, in the true hope that you have. It says don't place your faith in a lesser gospel. You know what the lesser gospel was? It was a gospel based on human effort. It says don't, don't mix that in. Stand firm. Fight the good fight. Don't turn to a lesser hope that depends on human striving and not on Christ. Keep your faith in this. Don't, don't turn from this hope. Don't turn from this gospel. It's radical and it's beautiful and it's all about Him. Let's pray. 